Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those, who, those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do with do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge me, begrudge my generosity? And so the last will be first, and the first last. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning. Trust you are in Matthew. Well, over uh, the past couple of years since uh, I've finally uh, finished school, I've had some time to do some other things, and uh, one of those has been coach soccer, and so I've been able to coach uh, both Andrew's soccer teams and Grace's soccer teams, and and uh, it's you know I grew up playing soccer, and so it's a great joy now to be able to teach them and. And, uh, and try to, I don't know, fulfill my uh, competitiveness vicariously through them uh, in, in some way. In some seasons, uh, we, we, we run the table. And in other seasons, we struggle to find a win. Uh, but it is nevertheless uh, still a joy to be able to do that. Well, coaching particularly at the uh, Clark County Soccer Association... Uh, while we, we have a great time with that, I've coached some of your own children who are here. And, uh, but there is a struggle that as a coach I, I often share. And one of the associational rules is this, that everyone gets to play at least 50% of the game. No matter skill level, desire to play, or attendance at practice. It pains me that that's the rule that the coaches must abide by. In other words, they're saying we want everyone to have a fair amount of playing time. There's a problem with that. 
That's not fair, okay? That's not how life works. And I'm trying to teach these kids real life lessons. And, uh, and, 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 you know, not everybody gets a trophy. But nevertheless, that's how it works. And, it, and it's particularly not fair in my competitiveness. It's not fair to the kids who want to win, who know the score, who are paying attention, who know the rules. They, they, it's not fair to them that I have to sit them because I have to play the child who doesn't want to be there. It's not fair to the parents who want to win the game. And I can see sometimes, what are you doing? What are you doing? I've even had parents come to me, hey, you know, what were you doing with that lineup at the last part? Well, you got to understand, I, I have my hands tied behind my back. And it's not fair to a coach who wants to win. I want to win the game, even though I'm, I'm trying to act like it doesn't matter that we're getting crushed right now. I, I, I want to win. Well, that's just how it is in U10 league soccer. Uh, and that's just how it has to be. Well, maybe you don't share the same level of competitiveness. Maybe you're like, goodness, I don't want you to be my kid's coach. Uh, I just want them to have fun and play no matter what the score. We don't keep score. Yeah, you don't want me as your coach. Anyway, maybe you don't share the same sense of competitiveness, but perhaps you've experienced a time where you've worked for something put a lot of effort into something. Maybe it's a project at school, or maybe it's working with the team at your workplace. And those who do nothing or do very little get the same credit as you who did much. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've put effort students in an assignment you really did hard and, and you did all that the teacher told you to do, and you turned it in on time, and you show up to class, and the teacher says, oh, you all forgot about the assignment? I'll give you all an extra week. You ever had that happen? The only person who doesn't like that is the person who did the work, right? Everybody else is like, yes, that's great. Or maybe you're at work, and you know that your department has to meet quota or some sense. And there's the dude who sits in the back and he's late for 15 minutes. You find him playing solitaire, doing all this. Yet they get the same pay as you. Well, you don't like that, do you? It doesn't seem fair. Well, here in this parable, Jesus tells of a master who owns a vineyard. He has a massive household and he goes out and he hires laborers to work in his vineyard. He starts out at 6 a.m. And he promises to pay these laborers a day's wage. And then he goes out again at 9 a.m., again at 12 p.m., again at 3 p.m., and then again at 5 p.m., the last hour of the day. And he hires laborers. And at the end of that day, at 6 p.m., he says it's time to pay the laborers their wages. And he tells his foreman, he tells his manager, I want you to begin with those that I hired last and work your way backwards. And, and what's surprising in the story is that those who worked the least got the same pay as those who worked the most. And they are upset, aren't they? Those who work the most are upset. Because it's not fair, right? 
Now the master tells them, didn't you, I agree to the terms? You agreed with me what the, the pay would be? I have not done you any wrong. But if you were in their shoes, and maybe you have experienced this at some level, you would be upset because you put in work. And you would say, it is unfair to pay me the same is what you're paying someone who hardly worked at all. Wouldn't you be upset? Some of our places of work, the labor unions would be called in, right? And this would be deemed an injustice. You would have your hands full if you were this foreman or you were this master. This is injustice, right? Yet Jesus tells us here, for the kingdom of heaven is like this. He tells this story that should and would cause outrage in every one of us if this happened at our workplace. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven, that place where God reigns amongst his people in his own place, a vineyard, this is how it works there. What's Jesus getting at? Well, what he's getting at is that our whole world the world we live in, it is built on merit, isn't it? It's built on uh, merit, rewards that are commensurate to the work that we put in, at least as long as you're not in U10 soccer, okay? It is, it is how the world works. But Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. Its reward is based on grace and not by works. That's what he's going to teach us today. This parable, Jesus teaches us that God's extravagant gift of salvation is lavishly given by grace alone and equally distributed to all his people. Did you hear that? This parable teaches us that God's salvation that he offers you is extravagant and he equally distributes it amongst all his people by grace. And so this principle, I'm calling it kingdom economics, what should that produce in us? Well, it shouldn't produce in us envy, jealousy, grumbling. But what I'm going to argue is it should produce in us a great overwhelming sense of gratitude to our God and our Savior. This is, first of all, because God's salvation is extravagant. God's salvation is extravagant. And this is kind of the main idea of this parable. Parables typically have one overarching idea, but, but in them and just by their nature, the story just has depths of, of application and, 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 and layers of meaning that we could just extract. And, and I can't do all of that today, but I hope to help us see at least some level what this parable is trying to press upon us and, and the main idea here is that of God's generosity our God and his kingdom is marked by extravagant generosity namely in that he grants us eternal life and we see here how this master is over the top in his generosity he's over the top he's extravagant in any sense in a human level, you would say this master is a fool. 
No one can run a business like him. He is inefficient because he is wasting, if you will, his efforts. Well, let's see what I'm talking about. Well, first of all, see that the master repeatedly goes out into the marketplace to hire laborers even beyond what is necessary, doesn't he? He starts early in the morning, 6 a.m., when the sun rises, and he goes to the marketplace, and he, he sees some people there, and he hires laborers, verse 1, for his vineyard. Verse 2, and he agrees with the laborers for a denarius, that's just a, a, a day's wage, and then he sends them into his vineyard. Now, typically, you go, and the first time, you hire what you need, right? And then you get to work. You've got the laborers for the day. You'll come back tomorrow and you'll get a new set of laborers or the same ones if they've worked well, but you don't go back. Well, this guy does. This guy goes back over and over again. And if you own a business, you know one of the key things that you, you need to manage is that you don't want to be overstaffed, right? Because if you're overstaffed, one, you'll have people standing around with nothing to do. But more importantly, you'll be paying people profits, right? You'll lose money if you have too many employees. But that doesn't seem to be a concern of the master. He doesn't stop hiring. Three hours later, he goes back to the marketplace and he hires more. 12 p.m. at lunch, he hires more. 3 p.m., he goes and hires more. And then at 5 p.m., which is just an odd time of the day to go and hire somebody for work, because work ends at 6. And he goes and he hires more. And what does he agree to? I promise to pay you a just wage. I'll pay you what is good, what is just. Now, what is the picture here? Obviously, the Master stands for our Heavenly Father, doesn't he? The vineyards, his kingdom the people that he's bringing into it. And what we see is just a beautiful picture of our God. He's not stingy, is he? Only hoping to adopt a few children into his kingdom. Only to adopt a few heirs because he, he doesn't want to devalue his kingdom. No, no, this, this king has no concern here. No, he keeps calling people to himself, seeking to add more and more and more into his kingdom so he can share more and more and more of the abundance of his riches. This is what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, no problem. Come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Elsewhere, the Lord says to Israel, All day long I hold my hands out. Come, come, come. All day he's out there. And that's what we see of this, this master. All day he keeps coming. Hey, more, more want work? I got work. Come on in. Come to my vineyard. Our God is a generous God, continually offering his kingdom, citizenship, to whoever who wills to come. Not only that, we see is extravagant, not only in adding people continually into his kingdom, but this also presupposes that his kingdom is vast, isn't it? This vineyard, this household that this master has must be extravagant. 
to be able to handle this many people. And so as we think about God's kingdom, what do we, we know about it? It is filled with an abundance of riches. And, and if you think about this, this master, our God, ha, is, is, has no fear of devaluing his kingdom by adding people to its number. You know, how do we usually act when we find out about a good thing, right? Now, we may tell a few people, but we don't want everyone at the favorite restaurant we like, right? Why? Because then there won't be a seat for me, right? I want to be able to come in. It's the best kept secret in town. And we go, and, and we don't want to share it too much because other people might, what? Ruin it for us. Devalue it for us. Well, there's no threat of that in the kingdom. There's no threat of, of too many people coming in and spoiling it. Too many people coming in and getting work and devaluing us or the kingdom. As our Lord distributes sal salvation, its rewards, guess what, they never dwindle. I mean, that's not how it works in the world, right? Well, we seem to think you can just keep printing money and it's never going to lose its value, right? And you just start giving it to whoever wants it, right? That's not how it works in the world. When we, We're about to learn that lesson at some point, or at least our kids will. Well, that's not how it works in the kingdom. The Lord keeps hiring and paying, and, and the, the reward never dwindles. It's power, the kingdom power. It never wanes, even though he keeps distributing it. His mercies, guess what? They're always new. They're never stale. And the joys of the kingdom, they're everlasting. They're never diluted. And for this reason, all who are willing, guess what? They can come into the vineyard. doesn't threaten it. Finally, the extravagance of our God's salvation even extends, I love this, to the least in this world. The extravagance, extravagance of the kingdom extends even to the least in this world. The parable not only presents the master continually seeking to hire laborers for his vineyards, but guess what? He also hires those who nobody wants. Let's, let's come back to the text. Look in verse 6. And about the 11th hour, the 11th hour is 5 o'clock p.m. This is basically the end of the day, right? This is when you're wrapping things up. You're mailing it in at work, probably, right? This guy is still going out to hire people. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Why, why haven't you been hired? Or why don't you have something to do? And they said to him, verse 7, because no one has hired us. Why did no one hire them? Because they had nothing to offer. It reminds me of, of, of uh, kids picking teams at recess. Why are you standing here watching them play the game? Because no one picked us. That's what happened. No one picked us. And yet God does. It's the 11th hour of the day, and guess what? The picture is of this master continually seeking. Is there anyone I missed? Anyone who hasn't been found? Is there anyone who's idle, who doesn't have work? I'll enlist them. And he finds those that nobody else hired because they're at least desirable candidates. 
they're the ones left over. And the master says, guess what? You too, go into my, go into my vineyard. Our God opens up his kingdom for those who are the least. Those who aren't wanted. The weak. Those with nothing to offer. That's the extravagance of our God and the salvation that he offers. And he doesn't just open the kingdom up to them. He makes them equal recipients of it. And so we see here the equality of God's salvation. Now we're at the close of the day. It's 6 p.m. It's time to check out, clock out at work. And the master decides, all right, it's time to pay my laborers. And he, he tells his foreman, hey, I want you to begin with those I hired last and then work your way backwards. And guess what? Everyone starts receiving a full day's wage. Now, now just think about that. You, you show up at 5 o'clock and the office closes at 6. And, and just even think about the agricultural terms here. You know, they're cleaning up. Like, the work's done today. Um, you're, you're, you're showing up. Maybe you've been told, kind of, here's what we're trying to do. You just kind of got situated. You got your, your, your training manual read. And you, you walk onto the floor. All right, guys, close it up. I did nothing today. And you show up, and it's like, time to pay. All right, you get a full day's wage. Now, if you're in the back of the line knowing you work starting at 6 a.m., what are you thinking? Oh, man, I'm going to get a bonus. How many days' wages am I going to get today? And what do we see? Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Wouldn't you? You think you're receiving more that day too? But each of them also received a denarius, a day's wage. What? Everyone received the same reward. Everyone received the same pay. What are we seeing here? The kingdom is the great equalizer. The last are first and the first are last. Do you notice that? Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. That's where we left off in verse 30 of chapter 19. Except it was just inverted. Many who are first will be last and last first. It brackets it, if you will. The kingdom is a great equalizer. And so what, what's going on here? This parable teaches us that Jesus banishes rank or status by equal reward given to all regardless of how long someone has worked in the kingdom or how much one has worked for the kingdom. Now here's what I want you to keep in mind. I think context will help us a little bit. This parable is in response to what we saw last week where there was the rich young ruler, right? who had much riches. And Jesus really gets to the heart of the matter and, and tells him, hey, go sell all that you have, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And, and that was just too much because the man had many possessions. He, his heart was with worldly things. And then Peter in verse 27, that, that he says, hey, Jesus, just want to make sure you noticed, we left everything to follow you. But curious, what's our reward? That's his question, right? What's in it for us? What, what's our 
reward. And Jesus tells them, he says, you, when the Son of Man comes in his kingdom and sits on his glorious throne, guess what? You who have followed me, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He tells them, you've got a unique reward, a unique role. And then he says, and everyone who's followed me, who's, who's left possessions, they, they're going to gain a hundredfold. And then he gives this principle that many who are first will be last and the last first. He, he needs to correct their understanding. That though they will have a unique role in the kingdom, it doesn't mean that they are superior to others in the kingdom. Because that's really what they're getting after. And we'll see this next week. Now, the mother of James and John comes. Hey, could, you know, in the kingdom, can, who's, out of those 12 thrones, you know, six on one side, six on, who's going to be the ones closest to you? Can you make sure my sons are there? Why? Because they're still thinking about superiority. Who's in authority? Who's in charge? Who's most important? Who is the greatest? And so Jesus tells this story, or this parable, to to let us understand and let us know that there will be no hierarchy or second-class citizens in the kingdom. Now, understand this. This is beautiful. Because I think we know this truth, but, but maybe we don't. Do you understand that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the same standing before God as the Apostle Peter? He's not superior to you. Did you know, out of all the great heroes of the faith, or even those faithful missionaries or, or faithful ministers of the gospel throughout history, even those who have died as martyrs, been burned at the stake, stoned, beheaded, they've lost their children, they've lost their lives for the sake of the gospel or even taken this gospel to unreached people groups. They don't have a greater standing in the kingdom than you. Even I, as your pastor, I don't have a greater standing before the throne of God than you. I might have a different role, but we are equals in the kingdom. Why? Why is that the case? How does that work? Because our standing in the kingdom is based on the righteousness of Christ that is given to us. I want you to see Peter learns this lesson. 2 Peter chapter 1. You turn there. We may have it on the screen. No screens have been kind of flickering and messing up today. But 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the same Peter who's concerned, what is, what's in it for me? Now later, understands what this parable teaches. And Peter writing to the churches under his care in 2 Peter, chapter 1. We see Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. To those who have obtained a faith of what? 
of equal standing with ours. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it is. They have obtained an equal standing. You have obtained an equal standing with Christ. See, Christ on the cross took your sin, took your guilt, took your shame, and He gave you His righteousness. This is better than Oprah Winfrey show. Everybody gets a prize, right? No, no. Everybody gets righteousness in the kingdom. Everybody gets my clothing. Everybody gets a robe with, that is white as snow. Everybody gets a new name in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. That's where your standing is found. Now this doesn't mean that we don't have, or we won't have different roles. We've already seen the apostles. They're going to have, they're going to be sitting on the twelve thrones, but yet somehow we're not sitting under their feet. I also don't think that doesn't, that there, there won't be different rewards in some sense in heaven, but the point is, is that there is no hierarchy or second-class citizens in the kingdom. This is what Paul gets at to the Galatians when he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of us, where, where the world says based on these things there's second-class citizens, not in the kingdom. But he doesn't obliterate that you're male and female. Or obliterate that you're Jew or Gentile. He doesn't obliterate those distinctions, but yet the kingdom doesn't work like it works here. The last or first, the first or last, equalizers. Our God's generosity is lavishly put on display as he bestows on each one of us the same reward of eternal life in His Son. And in so doing, He is both just and He is good. He is just and He is good. Let's come back to the parable. Those who were first to enter the vineyard, what do they do in verse 11? They begin to grumble, right? You see it, verse 11. And on receiving it, their day's wage, they grumbled at the master of the house. And what do they say? Why are they upset? These last worked only one hour. And you have made them what? Equal with us. Do you see it? You made them equal with us. Who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. There it is right there. They don't understand the economics of the kingdom. You made them equal to us who did more work. That's unfair. That's unjust. We've done so much more. You know, we, we, we got up early. They slept in. They're lazy. They were in the, they, there's a reason no one hires them. We're good workers. We got much to offer. And besides that, we worked when the heat of the sun was at its pinnacle. I'm sunburned. 
from the work that I've done today. They haven't even dropped a sweat. And you're making them equal to us? It's a sense in which you can identify with them, can't you? As you think about the economics of our world in terms of employment. But Jesus wants to change our thinking about the kingdom. It's not how it works in the kingdom. He wants us to think about what is just and right. And what do we hear in these first workers? What, what do we hear in their complaint? What is the presupposition that they have? We deserve this. We deserve the wages. And what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that we don't deserve anything. The master replies, verse 13, look at his gentleness, friend. Friend. I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius, a day's wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose, look at sovereignty, I, hear, I chose to give this last worker as I give to you. Notice, it was given to you. It was given to you. The wages are given, not earned. See, the master, he didn't have to hire them. He didn't have to seek for them. Apparently, this master is, lacks no resources. He's doing just fine. He is sharing his resources. He didn't have to. He didn't have to hire them. He could have left them idle with nothing to do in the marketplace and no reward. But out of his generosity, he sent every group of laborers into his vineyard. And he promised them a reward. See, you'll only grumble about this if you think you earned your salvation. You'll only grumble about your work in the kingdom. Get frustrated. Oh, it was hard today, Jesus. I don't deserve this. I don't need to get, I worked harder than that person. Why are you treating them the same as me? And guess what? You find division, envy, jealousy in the church when we forget this. I quit. This isn't worth it. Friend, did I not promise you eternal life? And can I not give it to them as I have given it to you, the Lord says? Why are you complaining? Why are you grumbling? Why are you concerned about that other person? Why are you jealous? Why do you begrudge my generosity? He says. You'll only grumble when you think you've earned what you have. But when you see that God's reward of eternal life is a gift of His grace... When you truly get, oh, he has lavished me extravagantly with his grace, you'll be overwhelmed with gratitude about it. Put me 
it wherever you will. However you want. You've given me eternal life. You have, out of your goodness, out of the abundance of your riches, chosen to bring me into your service. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The only reason you don't, and I don't count it joy, is because we think we deserve better. See, it's God's goodness toward us that He calls us to salvation, right? And get this, this is amazing, and we know this. Some He calls early in life, right? And this is one of the applications I think we can make. Some He calls early, some... Some we hear of, of children who grew up in, 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 in parents' homes who taught them the gospel. They didn't get beaten up by the world. But what is that? That is God's grace sparing them from the tyranny of living in sin and rebellion. He says, I'll give you eternal life. Whereas others are like the thief on the cross. They've lived their entire life in rebellion to Him. They have drunk from the well of the world and they have, they have shaken their fist at God the whole time. Is He not the same grace towards them as He was to the one He saved early? Yes, He spared maybe you from that life, but He rescued them from that life. The first will be last and the last will be first. It's the great equalizer both are an expression of His abundant grace in Christ, whereby He freely gives and He's constantly going out, seeking to save and bring many in. And so what does this do? It leaves absolutely no room for boasting, right? There's no room for boasting. Look at what I have done. As Paul says to the, uh, the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? Okay, nothing, right? So why do you act like you, you didn't receive it, but earned it? whatever accolades and things that you think highly of yourself about. No, rather, let the one who boasts, boast in this, that he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, who graciously saves all who come to him. You know the Lord, that's your boast, and nothing else. Let's pray. Oh, gracious and good Father, pray that we give you thanks today out of hearts of gratitude. Why? Because you found us. Or some of us you found early in the day and others of you, others of us you found later in the day, some in between. And Lord, there's still hours still to come before the great day of the Lord. And we trust that you will call others into your service into your glorious kingdom. And Lord, I pray that as we have seen in this parable, that we would give thanks for your generosity towards us. And as we ponder the riches of your grace, I pray that you would banish from our lips, banish from our thoughts, any grumbling against you or envying of our brothers and sisters. Because we know that you have made us co-heirs with Christ. You've made us one with him. And you have given us an equal standing together in Christ. 
Father, by your Spirit, I pray that you would press the truth of this passage deep within our hearts so that we may walk in gratitude and faithfulness toward you, bearing fruit in all the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.